Hello and welcome back to the Side Character Cast, um, a podcast in which your host, me, Kenton, um, goes through three chapters every week of Umi no Misaki, uh, Nisekoi, and Grow the Wilds, which are three different manga. And beforehand, I always go through, I don't know, some stuff that I feel like talking about, which in this case will be a continuation of last week, as promised. So just to get things out of the way, um, you found this probably on soundcloud.com slash main-character-cast which is where this podcast lives, more or less, until it doesn't, in which case I will tell you where it lives after that. And, I don't know, there's probably a Twitter for the main character cast and some kind of email, which might be maincharactercast at gmail.com. That sounds right. So email comments or concerns or whatever, or just write them on the bottom of the SoundCloud. That's Any of that's fine. And the music that I use comes from, um, what is it, www.purple-planet.com. And anyway, so yeah, this week I'm going to uh, start off by talking again about um, how the unionization process is going. So um, as I record this, we are uh, basically halfway through the voting process. So like last week, I don't know, sometime near the end of the week, of the work week, I got in the mail like my ballot, which is like a secret ballot where you just go like, hey, I'm going to mark yes or no on this ballot, put it in this envelope um, that is already addressed and like has postage on it or whatever, and then it goes back to whoever uh magical union people like the Na- national labor review board or whatever the nlrb that sounds right i think yeah, that that acronym sounds accurate so yeah then they are the people who get and like check the email so first of all the thing i talked i talked about that i was going to do last week was like okay i'm going to go or i don't know if i actually mentioned it but i was going to go and see what the like what the people in charge of the the like the deans had to say about like not wanting to be in the union because they're very outspoken, and they, to this day, continued, like, I got one, well, how, how long ago was it? Um, 16 minutes ago. That is them giving us more um, information about how we should not join the union. So, like, we've been getting email blasts from them, like, every day, basically, since I last recorded. And, like, I was going to go see, like, okay, what, what like, let me hear from their mouths and maybe ask them some questions or whatever. And, like, go get free pizza at this union thing that they were hosting. Except, like... So when I went to, like, go to it, I was like, okay, it's going to be at, like, 6.30, which is kind of late and kind of a hassle. Like, I don't really want to go to campus that late, especially since it's, like, supposed to go to, like, 8 or 8.30. So it's like, that's annoying. I don't want to walk. I don't, like, I don't want to walk for half an hour to do this and then walk for half an hour to get home. But I was like, okay, I'll do it, whatever. And then I looked at the email, and it's like, oh, it's hosted at, um, like, some ancillary building for the university that's not affiliated with, like, the main campus and about eight miles away it's like wait what oh i see that's huh okay so you're making it nearly impossible for me to go see your point of view which is interesting and i also learned that like that that definitely was not a point in their favor it's like oh huh this is yep okay why not but like i learned that like the part the department that i'm in like the chemistry department is we're roughly 20 percent of like the graduate students and at, at, at the school that I go to out, then that's not counting the engineers because they weren't able to get like the school like the school of engineering is doing the unionization thing in like a couple weeks or months or whatever like they can't do it they didn't do the paperwork correctly or I don't know some kind of snafu and then like they couldn't get that stuff to go forward anyway so yeah like more importantly one of the emails that we were that we were sent was from the like again from the deans and they're like, oh, here's what the Harvard students thought about, like, the unionization process. 
and like this is the reasons why they didn't do it and like the harvard people came, sent back to us like from their union like their their unionization reps were like oh no that this this all happened because the administration didn't cooperate with like how the union was supposed to go and we didn't get the ballots out to all the grad students so like we have to hold another election and like it's all under like some kind of crazy like review snafu and i'm like huh that is definitely not the reasons that they said in the email that I got. It's like, oh, okay. So, like, that, and that set the tone for the, the emails that I've been getting from these people, which, I mean, like, I don't really hold it against the deans. I understand that it's their, like, their prerogative to say whatever they want. Like, that's, that's cool. I'm okay with that. Free speech and whatever, even though it's a private university, so free speech doesn't necessarily apply, contrary to what a lot of people think. And, like, so they keep saying to us, like, okay, why shouldn't, like, I'm still not really sure why I would not want to join this union when it seems that every school that has joined, like, they've gotten huge raises and, like, a massive increase in their benefits, which just shows you that, like, okay, it's a free market process, basically, at this point, where it's, like, grad students at at our school are not paid um, the cost of living that it costs to live in the city that we live in, where, like, there's... And I view, like, cost of living as, like, okay, is it possible for me to get, like, a studio apartment on just my salary without having any roommates? And the answer is not even close. I would need roughly double my salary to do that. So, like, even putting that aside, like, okay, how much does it cost to live with a roommate? And would the two, like, two of us having identical salaries be able to afford, like, a one- or two-bedroom apartment? And the answer is, depending on where you live, no, which is also kind of a nightmare because Boston is, in terms of housing prices, a hellscape. And that's a story for a different day, which hopefully, like, I'm, I am actively looking for another apartment, so, ugh. I get to deal with all that crap again, and, like, just throwing away, like, a month's rent or a half a month's rent to, as, like, a broker fee to whatever nightmarish uh, marketing forces dictate how, like, the housing searches and all that stuff works. But I have a couple decent leads, so whatever. I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to it. So anyway, yeah, we keep, like, we get these emails... And they say, like, oh, um, what will be negotiated if the union wins? And they're like, um, what matters? Like, what like, what benefits are they going to give us? And, like, this is one of the possible negative things that I can think about a union. It's like, okay, so hypothetically, like, the Tufts students have had, like, a good working relationship with the deans, which when I think about it, like, I'm a first year, and also I've had no contact with the deans outside of, like, the one meeting or, like, the one thing that they showed up to on, like, our welcome week where, like, the dean of graduate students is like, hey, I'm the dean of graduate students. Hi. And then he left. It's like, okay, that's, yep, that's my first and last interaction with you. Cool. Great. That's, uh-huh. Okay. So then they, they keep saying, like, okay, yeah, like, we, we you will lose um, individual bargaining power. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But also we have, we are in no position individually to bargain for anything. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, we like, we like to work with the students by themselves and, like, uh, go through and like talk talk about their funding or whatever, and it's like yeah, we so we can like organize their benefits on like a case by case basis. I'm like that's not how that works. Like when when we were offered a like offered a position to be a graduate student here, we got a letter that said like okay, here's how much you will make and here's the benefits you will get, and that's all, and it wasn't negotiable. It's like either you accept this or you go to a different school or you're not going to grad school. They're like I don't understand like the argument that we that we have individual bargaining power is pretty much non-existent because like they don't need us like that's the thing about graduate students is yo we are pretty much replaceable especially when we are like the one of the larger or the largest group of grad students who aren't engineers on the campus so like there's plenty of us to go around and no matter how much how vital someone's research they think it is it's like yo 
It's just like industry or government or anywhere else. You can be kicked out and a new person can be put in your place or no one can be put in your place, and that's okay too. And the only people who would be bummed about it are you and hopefully like your lab mates and your PI if you aren't a total jerk, which I try not to be. I'm more of a neutral party than a total jerk. So anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, so then the, the other thing that like we've, that I've been going through is like, okay, like I had a lunch with a bunch of my lab mates um, last week and we were discussing like, oh, people were like, okay, yeah, are you going to vote for the union? I'm like, absolutely. I have, like, I'm from a union family. Like they've done me, they've never done me wrong in the past. The unions that my like that, that came along with my dad being, um, like in the business, like in like a random like in the trade he was in. Like we've been in multiple unions, had like great healthcare through them. They took care of the family when things got bad for him, and I don't know. He made a lot of good friends doing all that stuff. So like, yep, okay, I'm in. Why not? Until I see something that's wrong with the union, I will obviously try to join it because it seems like there's only upside for us. And it's interesting because their perspective was two of them are like one's a third year, the other um, one's like a fifth year, and the other one's like a fifth and a half year. So she's like they're they're both like writing and finishing up their theses. Theses. So like they're they come from the position like yeah, none of this is really going to affect us because even like the union people were like oh yeah, it's going to take like I don't know about a year in order to fully argue and figure out this whole like contract thing and do all the bargaining, which which makes sense. You don't want to do it wrong the first time. Like, I understand that the thing about unions is that it's hard to change the contract once it's, once it's in place, so you want to be, like, doing a good job of it before you get to that part, to that point where it's like, oh, yeah, like, this is the argument, like, we, we hate teacher unions because, like, you can't kick bad teachers out. And I'm like, you should have, like, the people who are saying that should have, like, I don't know, are on the other side. And I first of all, I don't know that that's actually that big of an issue statistically, but that's besides the point. It's more like it's built into their contracts. Like they fought hard for this right to actually have a secure job where they can't just be kicked off, kicked out willy-nilly, so that they can like learn how to become better teachers. Like you can't just say like, okay, we're gonna kick out these like, these terrible, like all these terrible teachers. I'm like, then who's gonna be left? And that's like a thing that's happening all across America. Is like, okay, we're dropping your ability to unionize and your benefits and stuff. And then like my aunt got like fired or not laid off from her school because like oh we're gonna cut half of the funding to your school so good luck with uh double class sizes going from like 15 to 30 kids per class which seems real bad for the teachers and then she was let go it's like okay great Uh uh-huh this is why we have unions so that they couldn't have just done this to them like that's the entire point of the unions but whatever some people like people have their own opinions on on that and that's fine so then yeah we were just talking it's like okay they're they're both like yeah we're probably gonna vote for the union like we we don't really see a downside to it and they're like but what about like maternity leave they're like it's it'll be like nearly impossible for um like for like graduate students to actually especially in chemistry like get and be pregnant like especially if you are a woman in chemistry where you are working in a laboratory setting where some a lot of those lab chemicals um the labels on them that i don't care about too much are like oh it's a teratogen so it has uh the ability to cause birth defects so you probably shouldn't be working with this or especially if you're going to be exposed to it i'm like yes that makes sense so then it's like that's bad for if you are to have a baby if you are actively in the process of doing so then you should not be in the lab so that extends like the whole maternity leave argument it makes it very complicated for a chemist honestly like pretty much over like as opposed to most fields that don't actively work with uh, birth defect-causing chemicals as part of their research or like their routine work or whatever. 
So like, and like the one of the like the maternity benefits that people are arguing for was like, oh, it's like twelve weeks, and they're like, oh man, that's too long, that's too long, and I'm like, I like the thing I should have brought up was like, do you do you guys even like have you ever seen how they do it anywhere in like Europe or most other countries? Like, twelve weeks is three months, and that's not that long if you really think about it. Like, oh no, you'll never finish your work. And I'm like, you can do a lot of data analysis and processing and stuff from home, especially in like the lab that I'm working in. Like, we do lab work for maybe like a week out of a month, and the rest of it's just trying to figure out what the hell the numbers mean and present them in a way that makes any sense to us and to the computer that's doing the analysis that we're trying to put it into, and like two other people. Like, you get all this data, and it's like, okay, how do we turn it into useful uh, like insight into the world? And that, like that's the hard part. Like doing the lab work is e like relatively easy. It's just prepare these samples and run them and hope your instrument doesn't blow up. Which I mean, that's also been a thing that's happening in the lab. Uh, three out of three instruments are like currently uh, dead, and that's unfortunate and makes lab less interesting because we can't do anything right now. Especially when it's like, oh, we we changed the thing on our instrument. Now we gotta wait uh, two to four hours for it to get to vacuum so we can actually see if what we did worked. And it's like, oh, nope, it didn't. So we're going to fix this and try again tomorrow. It's like, oh, cool, whatever, okay, why not? And anyway, um, so like that, those are my, like most of my thoughts on unions. Are like People don't really think about what they, like, pe like the, the thing that I get, like I don't understand is like, okay, so you have a union, and then like people, are, people eventually like will just focus in on minutia. Like once you have a thing like that's going to be in place or going like is in place, then people will focus on something really small and like, not necessarily a huge part of like what the like what the the sweeping change that they're bringing is going to give them, which like in the case of the unions is like the maternity leave like that's a small argument where it's like okay will they like argue for six or twelve weeks and I'm like that's okay first of all that doesn't affect most people and also like if people really feel strongly for it one way or the other then they can argue that while it's being drafted so like we are in the prime position to like if we really have these concerns like get them addressed in the 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 drafting of the union charter or like whatever agreement that we make with the university assuming that any of this actually happens and there is also the chance that like none of this will happen i don't when is the vote done i feel like it's done in like a week and week two weeks and i'm not entirely sure how long it takes to tally them up although the ballots are literally just you'll put a big x through the yes or the no and that's your ballot like it's not real it's not real complicated and i hope i don't know i hope we get in to the or get to form a union because i would find it very interesting like i would probably participate in some of the meetings to actually like draft some kind of charter to represent the chemistry department because i could totally see most of the chemistry department not taking any like getting involved in that at all and then like they were also complaining like oh um the other people like all the other uh graduate departments like all the english philosophy whatever people like they're trying to like argue that they like they should have more pay parity with the chemists and i'm like yes that's not wrong like oh but they don't need more funding like who cares they don't like all they do is sit around like they don't need a lab or anything like they, they don't have any operational costs i'm like yes that's true but also like they're talking about them getting paid as much like oh they don't get any grants i'm like yo we're getting paid like we, we barely get paid like i, I get thirty thousand dollars a year that's not much and not enough to live in this in boston at all and especially not if i was like wanted to have a family or anything like that that's like completely impossible on the salary like in terms of like how it works out like and that's pretty much the same for any city like it, it's just ridiculous like i and i and to if you're gonna tell me that okay these people on um, these like these english major or like these english phd candidates and like these philosophers like they're getting paid 
less than us? Like, how is that even possible? Like, I thought we were on, like, this super low end of, like, any kind of, like, workable salary in the Boston area. That's insane. So anyone who argues to me, like, oh, they should be getting paid less than us because they do less work, I'm like, that's garbage for many reasons. Mostly because, like, humans need us, like, in a city, humans need a certain amount of money to, like, live and function, and we are way below, like, any sort of reasonable poverty line. And, like, that's like that that is my main argument for a uni it's like okay maybe it doesn't work out like the worst case scenario is that your wages stay the same as they are and like that's not great because like the increases in our stipend are not increases that i i don't think they associate very well with like how much the cost of living goes up every year so i don't really see a downside to any of this which is my point like that's why i'm in most of the, in most cases in life I'm all for change because I'm like, okay, what, like, what's the downside to this? And like, what do we have to gain? And it's usually there's not too much on either side of the argument. So it's like, why the, why not? Why not do a thing and then see what happens? And if it doesn't work, you un- try to undo the thing or you live with it. And that's fine too. Like it's not, I'm not, I'm not just arguing for like change for the sake of change. I'm saying like, think about what you're doing a little bit. Like, okay, here's this union. And then say like, okay, I, like this is a thing that might have, like it has like, it probably, I don't know, once it's, once we vote for having a union i would say it's like okay i don't know 75 percent chance of like improving the lives of all the grad students and like to no detrimental effect to any of like the administration the faculty have already given us their support and say like okay yeah that this seems cool and you guys should join the union like and even even if the 25 percent chance like hits then it's like okay it's just stagnation like there's no like i can't really see a downside unless there's some kind of like strike that gets called which would be also super neat and then i'd have a story to tell forever of like how i was in a chemistry graduate student strike which would be fun not good for anybody who's trying to finish up their research in any reasonable amount of time but like for me who i don't know it'll get done when it gets done i'm in my first year whatever i got plenty of time to do whatever and yeah that's these are these are things that i think about unions so I will report back as soon as the vote happens, and I have a report to send back. And I'm excited either way. Well, I'm excited for one of the things to happen, and then possibly to be reasonably disappointed, but also it really won't negatively impact me too much if the union doesn't get um, created, you know? So, yep, I'll come back in a little bit with the whole... I don't know, let's start with Girl of the Wilds. I feel like there were... Yeah, there was there was a mutual punch that was happening that was exciting and it's that's yep so we'll start there and i'll see you in a little bit thanks for listening to my rant like always if you've made it this far which i do not blame you if you didn't you know and so as expected in um grow the wilds uh in this chapter chapter what is it 68 yeah that sounds right we go from uh, punch to punch, effectively. And it's like, oh, Jagu's fighting, but he's not really strong. And they actually, they address the thing that I kept bringing up in like the previous multiple chapters of what's been going on in Girl of the Wilds, which I really appreciate. I like it when they think, like, okay, what's the thing, like, what are the things that have been happening in the story recently? And, like, how can we actually um, put them into, like, a way that, like, put them in in a way that makes sense? To the audience, like to the author, to the characters themselves. So what happens is like Jagu is like, I don't know, they're basically trading, he's trading blows with the bad guy 
and Jagu's getting the worst of it most of the time because he's not good at the fighting thing. So then, like, we get to the between rounds break, and Jagu is, uh, like, we realize, okay, he is, yeah, he is tired. He's not used to, like, fighting like this all the time, which makes sense, because why would he be? And the fatigue is actually starting to get to him, and like, he's becoming um, weaker and slower and just, like, getting knocked down and stuff. And, yeah, so one thing that is confusing to me, um, like, beyond that is that um, before, like, as the bell rings, basically... Uh, he gets, like, uh, knocked in the face and then, like, lands back on his leg. So this is confusing for a couple reasons. Well, for one major reason is it's like, okay, so I'm, I thought the fights are going to, like, somebody is down for a while or, like, some amount of time, like a boxing match or, like, wrestling or anything like that, like MMA, whatever. Like, you get, like, a 10 count or whatever, the referee counts, and then you're done, so. And I guess that's, I, I don't know if, I'm not really sure the rules of how you lose in a fight in like the, in the Wilds Academy setup, like how it goes. So like, yeah, Jay goes down and even though like, we can clearly see through the timing of this that it goes hit and then the bell rings like, and he's on the floor. So then like he had to have like been going down from that and you'd think they would like start counting or like if he would have to get up before a certain amount of time or the round or like the, the match would be over and he would lose. So, like, that's a little bit of a continuity thing that is kind of confusing to me. It's like, oh, he just gets a free pass because he got hit and, like, he got knocked over during the, um, like, during the, like, during the end of the round, so it didn't count, which I don't like that. That's no good. But beyond that, blah, 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 he gets hurt a lot because the guy, like, sucker punches him as the next round starting because he's not interested in, like, all of the whatever chivalry crap that Jagu's spouting. And then it's Moon Young's turn to uh, beat a guy up. So that's where we're at next time. And I don't know, like, you'd think that the other guy would be going into, like, a little bit of a fatigued state, similar to what Jagu is, but I guess we'll see how that goes next chapter. Ah, oh, these stupid bonus chapters! Um, so Umi no Misaki, we get, I don't know, some kind of sub-chapter to, um, establish why like Mike is actually on the island or like why she's friends with the teacher lady in the first place which I mean cool okay I don't know that we needed to have a whole special chapter for that because like the thing about this chapter is like okay here's this backstory between these characters where like um the model Mike was um not really good at school like understandably so like she's not necessarily an idiot she just wasn't at school the whole, like, the time that she needed to be, especially in order to learn, like, I don't know, math or things that require, like, fundamentals built up over time. You can't just really, like, jump into whatever, like, more advanced level math. You you kind of need a little bit of ramp-up period, you know? So then she, like, the teacher asks, like, all the other students to help her out. And initially they do because they think, like, oh, she's a celebrity. And they're excited to, like, be near her and, like, bask in her glory and whatever. But then, like, she is clearly not understanding the material very quickly, or, like, it's only a couple days, honestly. Like, the all the all the other girls last, like, four or five days, which is kind of ridiculously short. So then they, uh, like, all abandon her, and then she's like, oh, I'm alone, I'm not learning any of this, wah. And then the the teacher, like, or the, the to-be teacher, uh, whacks her on the head, and then gives her some lessons, and they become friends after that. So, right, there's all, whatever, I don't know. Anyway... 
So the thing that is confusing about this chapter is that like okay now we have like now we have all this characterization for this character, but like so when you're telling a story and you have like this elaborate backstory that you either do or don't let your audience know, then you like it feels to me like it's important that you like have that backstory show itself in their actions, where we didn't like we have no um insight into like I had no idea any of this backstory based on how Mike and the teacher were acting towards each other or independently of each other. Like, none of that, like, not, none of this stuff is ever shown to us, like, through the things that they do. So, like, if we didn't read this bonus chapter, then we would get no, um, like, we would never know this information. It wouldn't be crucial. And, like, that's strange. Like, I guess that's what makes it a bonus chapter is that none of the um, information inside of it actually uh, comes out in the chapter itself which is kind of a bummer and probably a poor way to do a chapter like this. But I don't, I don't know. Like alternatively, you could just write your like write your story better or write your characters better so that you don't need like and or maybe like have these backstory chunks just show up um either in like an actual chapter like in the in the main like canon of the story or just like give you snippets over time or like you could honestly sum up this whole thing in I don't know, like two or three pages worth of time. So I, I guess they just wanted to expand it out to a full chapter or like a, a full semi like fake chapter, but like that doesn't mean anything to us. So I don't know. That's like that, that's that's all there is to it. Like this is just a, a chapter that like get, take it or leave it, and it makes absolutely no difference. Which I mean, technically that fulfills all the requirements of a bonus chapter if you think about it that way. Huh. So as every um, Umino Misaki chapter that follows a bonus chapter just been uh, something that could be way more easily described as a bonus chapter than the, like the actual one bonus itself, because that's kind of what it seems like. Like usually, like, if you think about a bonus chapter, it's like, oh, it's gonna be some like fan service or whatever. Maybe it's like a beach episode where nothing actually matters, and like the characters just have to get just get to have like a, a good fun time, and maybe we get to see some like light nudity depending on how mature our uh, audience is supposed to be, and well, uh, so there's more than light nudity, I suppose, going on in this chapter. Where it's basically just Karen um, trying to deal with her uh, feelings towards Nagi. Like, in in a way that we don't see... Like, we haven't seen from the other two manga at all. Which I, I really appreciate. It's just, like, a lot more um, mature, I guess. Or, I guess, just... It, it's, a, it's a different tact. It's not necessarily, like, more or less mature than, like, uh, Nisuko and Girl of the Wilds. It's just that the subject matter that they're allowed to go into is more... Um, in depth in terms of like what what the age bracket that the targeting is and like that really shows here and it also makes me wonder whether like i kind of like it's not often that i really care about like what the like what the gender or whatever like what the situation of the author is even though it does come like come into what happens in the story like in a dramatic way like no matter what you do like everybody has their own like biases and predilections towards like what they want to write and what they don't and like we'll see that in how people write things so, like, it's kind of, like, interesting for me to, like, try to think about, like, I'm, I'm never going to look up anything about these authors because that would be cheating and no fun. But one can suppose some things, I, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, here we get a very, um, 
I don't, it's either it's either a very uh, nuanced, like a, fa a fairly nuanced. I guess I shouldn't say very. Like I, I shouldn't oversell this. It's still just like a manga designed for like mass consumption and all that. But they do like tackle like the whole, and it's not like a lot of times you're seeing people try to tackle like, oh, here's the here are these like life and death um, type of or like what what it means to be a human or what it means to be a good person, like those types of things. And like th we're not trying to do that here. All we're trying to do in the interactions between Karen and uh, Mike is try to figure out, okay, is it like we're basically going through the birds and the bees talk where Karen is um, experiencing some like uh, sexual feelings towards Nagi and she doesn't know what to do with them or like with herself or anything like that. And like Mike re like realizes and puts it like very succinctly. It's like, oh, this is just like it's your first time and you don't want to like screw it up or have a bad experience because like you only get one first um, like you only get one first shot at this. Uh, whatever this may refer to, which I'll leave that to your imagination, although it's not very subtle. And then she says, like, okay, yeah, but you're just, like, being overly conscious about this. Like, you're, it, it's just a checkpoint. It's just, the, like, it's the first step on, on like, the, the long road to life and, like, the various, like, interactions you're going to have with other people. And, like, maybe it goes well, maybe it goes poorly, whatever. Like, it'll be done, and then you'll be through it and able to get to do other things. But, um... Like, if, like, she tells, like, uh, Karen not to obsess over what's going on because, like, oh, if you do, then, like, um, boys are very naive when it comes to this sort of thing as well, and, like, neither party really knows what they're doing, so, like, and the guys can be very, uh, self-confident, like, like, lack self-confidence in this type of area, and, like, be weak towards women, or, and, like, very, and, like, Karen's like, oh, I don't like weak guys like that, and then Mike's like, no, 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 it's not, like, you can't, like, that's fine. But, like, it's our fault as girls because, like, we are, like, people who basically, like, we're the people who mold, like, the, the male experience and, like, how they relate to women um, and, like, sexual encounters and that sort of thing. Like, it's, the, the two genders, like, shape their, each other's expectations and, like, that makes sense. But what I'm thinking is that either this is, like, a person who actually, like, thought, like, sat down and thought about this like a, a man I, like I, too overgeneralized completely i've again no idea about their actual situation but one could see a typical like male um point of view being that like okay like th it, or, like what i what i actually am trying to say is like okay this either reads like a like a woman is writing this or like someone is consulting with like a girl to like get these types of points of view on things and like um actually explain it from like a what, what seems to me a reasonable um, expression of like what the woman's point of view is in this in, like these types of matters, or it's a man who feels like put put upon and put down by women, and he's like expressing a little bit of frustration here in a more subtle way, and it's nearly impossible to tell the difference between those two points of view, which is really cool and like interesting to think about. So like moving forward through what I assume is going to be the same thing happening for all three characters. Like that's something that I'm gonna to try to keep in mind. It's like, what what is some, what things can I like understand about the author through like what um, words and interaction? Like the words are hard because it's all translation. So like we have to assume that we're not losing like any of the the subtleties or like important like actual important details in what is being like translated because you always lose something. You know, you can get up to I don't know, say 90% accuracy of like the whole meaning of the chapter, like all the words that are being said, but like you're not gonna get everything, and that's okay. Like, you do the best you can, which is why, like, I always try to focus more on, like, what the actions that the characters take are, or, like, their general, like, pre like dispositions and, like, what they do towards each other, like, with each other. 
So, like, that's, like, I'm just going to try to keep it in, in mind and, like, just talk about, like, what the author, what they seem like to me, which, I mean, he, honestly, I it, knowing most um, manga authors, then it's, like, a guy, but it's, um, that's very hard to prove, you know? chapters that just makes me feel I don't know bad for every character in this story more or less except for like I don't know probably Shu because he's kind of the best all the time he's a consistent performer I guess is the best way to put it so like we know some things about Nisekoi as, as like a general plot is that like eventually it's going to end up with um, Raku deciding between uh, Onodera or Chitoge because like that's from the entire setup that we've gotten so far like that's that's re realistically that's the only way this can turn out right like I, could you see um dear reader like that we could have uh what's her face sugumi or marika actually be the people who um end up with raku barring some kind of like unfortunate um ridiculous outcome where like they kill off characters Although, I don't, like, that seems like a thing that probably won't happen, you know? Like, I can't, that, that's, that's a little bit out of what one would expect from this type of story. Therefore, um, due to a complete lack of options, we are left with the premise that, like, the hypothesis that it's going to come down to one of these two girls. In which case, like, all of the actions that are happening in this plot, like, in the story and, like, the mundane, well, mundane, the relatively mundane for uh, Nisekoi, just, like, the everyday actions that are going on here, they are kind of, well, how do I, uh, meaningless, you know? Like, it's not often, like, there's a lot of stories where you know, like, what's going to happen in the end, really. Or what you believe is probably going to happen, like, occasionally you get, like, some stories that, like, buck the trend or, like, kill off a bunch of characters or, like, do some games of thrones and stuff and, like, I don't know, various interesting types of, uh, like, plot twists that you can involve that way. But, like, frequently it's like, oh, here's this romantic comedy. It's like, oh, this character and this character are 100% going to get together and, like, for in the, within their first meeting. And it's not just because you can see that they're the only two characters shown on the cover of the movie it's like it's not usually all that hard to tell that like whatever character x and y are going to get together especially and like if there's even movies i don't know bridget jones's diary i think i've seen yeah where she has to choose between two guys and like i don't i actually um i don't remember how that ends but that's like that's how it goes and like obviously like that's going to be the setup here is that like she's gonna have a very tough decision to make or something dumb like that and, like, that just leads me to think, like, oh, here's this Valentine's Day um, activities where we get, uh, like, we get bookended by Onodera and Chitoge talking about, like, the chocolate that Onodera, like, made and smashed because she was going to give it to Raku, but then, like, fell on it and then bad things happened and whatever. And, like, then um, in the middle of it, we get to see, like, Raku going, like, oh... Uh, thank you for, uh, ah, sorry about that. We get to see Raku talking to, um, Sugumi, who he has mistaken, like, her, that she likes, uh, Shu because she, like, gave him chocolate that she had gotten from another girl, 
which leads Raku to like talk about like oh um like these chocolates that you got from these girls like they they put their feelings into them and gave them to you so like the, they must be like having important thoughts or yeah like important thoughts regarding you and she's like yes I know that and then she like she ends up giving him um a tiny chocolate as an obligation cho- like an obligation chocolate not like a love chocolate or whatever and he is very thankful for it because like this is the first time he's ever gotten one so like okay like that's sure okay and then we get to see him go to uh or, like find Merrick in the hall who's also smashed her chocolate which seems really lazy to reuse the literal same plot point of oh this girl fell and broke her chocolate and now she can't give it to Raku and she's embarrassed by that and, like okay we did it twice you, good yep okay Nisakoa good job so then she is like uh distraught and like promises to make Raku a new one and he, then he starts eating it because like he feels a sense of obligation towards her and like to respond to her feelings properly and like then she he's like oh man this chocolate's really good and then he keeps eating it, and even though they came off the floor or whatever although for like chocolate the that of like of that stature it doesn't really matter because like okay you just wipe off the outer layer and then like the whole inside of it is like perfectly fine chocolate so this is like i have i have little problem with what like the health um impact of doing that and like then it's like okay so then we get to see like shu and uh ruri talk about like oh uh shu you didn't like did you get any chocolate and then he got like um a couple for himself and then like at some point we're probably going to have them these characters start to draw slightly closer together because they're the two ancillary characters so obviously they're going to hook up at some point because like such is life in a harem you kind of just get thrown together at the end you know and then we go, like, back to um, Onodera and Chitoge, which is, like, this chapter, once again, is, in, in the long string of Nisuko chapters, is a microcosm for everything that could happen in the plot, where it's like, oh, we start with Onodera and Chitoge as the main girls, and then, like, the, some other girls show up and move in and out of Raku's life, and then in the end, we're back to these two girls who both have feelings for them, which, like, if you notice, like, I didn't even t- talk about, like, the stupid cliffhanger at the end, because it's like, oh, ah, uh, you're gonna give the, you're gonna give these chocolate to the boy that you like, and it's like, oh, who is it? And then Onodera is like, oh, Chishoge, who, who's the boy you like? Is it, is it like, is it Raku? It's like, oh, well, well, we're gonna get like a big reveal where Chishoge gets embarrassed or like reveals her true feelings, and then maybe like the whole tone of the manga will shift, and like that's all garbage because we, like, you know it, dear reader, and I know it, that that's never gonna happen, like, we know, like. I can probably draw out like a, the last scene or two or whatever of this manga and I don't actually remember if I read it or not which huh yeah I have honestly no idea but really like what do you expect's going to happen here like they're going to I don't know like what's going to happen next chapter ooh scary cliffhanger got to keep reading anything's possible in the world of Isekoi but it's not so i don't know we we move on with our lives that's all we can do at some point there comes a time in every fighting manga where you have like this whole big elaborate setup of like oh like these characters are secretly or not even secretly but like these characters are really strong and like we're not gonna like the problem is how do you go into and like show the audience like oh this is exactly how strong these characters are and like let them do their thing because like if you do it early like 
in in the early setup phase of like uh um like of your story then it's hard to how do i put this it's it's difficult to um like not just have them dwarf like the main character and their growth so this means that like you can't let them fight really but like it's then this comes with like brings up the natural tension of oh this character like has never like we've never seen them fight or like they've never fought seriously so then we basically believe that they aren't as strong as they actually are and then like once it's time for the kid gloves to come off it's either um like a letdown because like the story's progressed enough where like the enemies are have gotten to like a, a strength where they can like match this um supposedly incredibly strong character or they like yeah like again they can just like um destroy any confidence we have in like the main character's progression but like uh, girl of the wild solves this issue like or sidesteps it i guess is the best way to do it where like one way to get around this problem is you just say okay my main character has no fighting experience and is like really not good at it and that gives you like the ability to have your um side character your like your strong mentor type uh do whatever they want and like at at certain points you know like, you can get, like, in this chapter, it's basically uh, Moon Young dismantling the ruffian she's up against. And she's basically just um, whacking him in the head repeatedly until he goes down and stays down. And I do have to give him credit. He takes, like, a whole bunch of, like, direct face, like, facial hits, which I'm going to guess mostly cause concussions, as shown by him, like, getting blurred vision as, as he's trying to get up, like, the third or fourth time. But he keeps getting up, is the thing. Like, he has some kind of fortitude. And he still has the ability to, like, kneel over and pick up that chair and try to attack her with it at the end. And that's kind of impressive that he can still stand up. Because, like, no matter how strong you are, if your brain gets rattled around that much, then you're probably going to be having a rough time doing coordinated activities for a little bit. Which is, I guess, what she was aiming for. So, yeah, I like this. And not just because it's some good karma, but, like, we still, even though this is, like, supposed to be a very serious... Like, this chapter's supposed to... I feel like it's supposed to feel like it has more gravitas than it actually does. Or maybe the author knows that it e that it easily could be a super serious chapter. But, like, it doesn't feel like there's any tension here. Because, like, sometimes in... Like, when people are... Like, when characters are fighting, then you see... Like, you have, like, really high stakes where it's like, oh, um, if this character loses... Like, if the good guys lose, then something bad is going to happen. Or whatever. Or, like... Or... In this case, there's pretty... I don't know if there were, like, some kind of elevated stakes. I think, yeah, since they're fighting as, like, Queen's proxy, then the guy gets to make Queen do something embarrassing or whatever. One, like, yeah, in the future. If, like, if, if Jegu and, like, Moon Young and all of them were to lose, or however that... I forget what the actual stakes are. Which, that, like, me being able to say that and, like, legitimately having no idea what they're... Like, why they're actually fighting, or, like, what, like, what will happen if either side loses just adds to the feelings that like oh this fight like it feels like we're as the audience we're like disconnected from what's going on in the story right now a little bit or at least like what the actual action is in this fight because even though we like we get all these similar to previous chapters where it's just been all fighting there's like a lot of uh, visceral action going on and like it's just a bunch of hits with good like speed lines showing the the strength of the impact and fun onomatopoeia and like everything's there but like I, I just don't get the sense that they're actually committing to like this fight or like it's a meaning and I don't know if it's just a function of like okay we've set up these girls as being maybe a little bit too strong for 
what we're trying to do right now in the story. Like, I, I guess that's probably what's happening. Like, th I had no doubt in my mind that, like, Moon Young was just going to wreck this guy. And, like, maybe that's the point. I don't know. Like, it's a little bit... It, it, my, it's, it's complicated. Like, I can't... Like, I don't dislike the chapter, but I don't love it. I, like, it's... This feels like a very neutral chapter. It's hard to have strong feelings, even though, like, we're getting the justice that we wanted. We're seeing this jerk get, like, put in his place for um, hurting Jagu and being a jerk and, like, breaking the rules of the fight. And, like, it doesn't feel like it matters as much as it could. Which, huh. That's cool, I guess. It just lends more gravitas to uh, Jagu's fight previously and, like, makes it even seem more, like, we're firmly establishing, like, the hierarchy of these fighters. And you have to do that at some point, right? Um, let's see. Umi no Misaki, chapter, what is it, 69, of course. Why wouldn't it be? So, uh, this chapter involves, um, the gang going to the beach again. Because why would we not run back the premise of the previous, uh, exp like, the, the previous events of what Mike wanted to do? Like, why would we ever do a different thing? Or, like, have something else go on, you know? But anyway... So they go back to the beach, and the whole uh, beginning of this, um, the, whole, the whole chapter basically illustrates my major beef with this manga up to this point. So we get this whole, um, like, novel idea, or like this, this idea that, like, Shizuku wants to um, put Mike and, like, the other girls in their places and, like, come back to establish her place at Nagi's side as, like, the primary shrine maiden who, like, I don't know, like, she's supposed to be the one who gets closest to him or something like that. We're not entirely sure how that dynamic's supposed to go. But she even refers to herself as, like, she is the head maiden or whatever. So it's on her to do, I don't know, some, get the dragon god's favor and other things. So this involves her going to, or, like, seeing that Mike has a bunch of swimsuits and she doesn't want to lose in that department. So she goes back home to uh, look at her like bounty of various swim attires and pick out the cutest one to show off in front of Nagi. And she has a ridiculous amount of swimsuits because we can see that, oh, she's at uh, Nagi's place and she's throwing out like, oh, I can't wear this, can't wear this, can't wear this. And then she goes home and like she has like drawers full of just more swimsuits, which I, I guess they live on an island, so that's a thing. And like she loves swimming, so okay, sure, I'll buy that. But then, like, she picks out one, and then she goes to the beach, where she sees Soyogi, who's been watching over the, like, the activities of Mike and Nagi, while Karen and Rene are off cooking, or doing whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, they're outside the story for this chapter. Which le leads, um, Sh uh, Soyogi to say to Shizuku, uh, like, they're just discussing what happened. And the thing that happened, like, th the issue here is that, okay, um... I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but we see that, like, oh, Soyogi has uh, whipped out her most, uh, like, what she fig figures is her most attractive uh, swimsuit, and then she's trying to wear that to impress Nagi in the exact same way as Shizuku was. But we don't get to see Soyogi's point of view of, like, her decisions to do that. Even though, like, we can pretty much guess that their thought processes are, are identical, and they led, like, from the same um, beginning stages of what they're trying to do to the same conclusions, and, like, they engage in the same actions as a result which is kind of annoying like 
there's got to be something else that they could do besides like you have three characters three distinct characters and if you're gonna go to the trouble of saying like oh karen can't come she's preparing food or whatever like we're gonna knock her out of the story for this chapter then like you can't waste your um you can't waste like what your other two characters are like they only have they have two girls to have like like two girls that can do things in this chapter and they both just were like, oh, we're going to pick out pretty swimsuits and try to show off in front of Nagi. Like, that's that's just a waste. There's There's got to be something else that one of them could have tried to, like, attract his attention or whatever. But I guess we're just supposed to see, like, oh, um, Soyogi goes and gets the jump on Shizuku, who's, like, trying to, like, remain dignified or, like, fulfill her destiny as the head shrine maiden or whatever it is. And she doesn't want, like, she doesn't want to lose her cool. Even though all she would really, like in her heart of hearts, she just wants to go and flirt with Nagi, which is like as we've seen, like that's what her character traits are pretty much. She's a pretty like flighty and free girl when she's alone with Nagi, but when she's in front of other people, she gets a little bit more like strict or like dignified, especially with an outsider. So she doesn't want to lose to either of them, and like it just feels like okay, Shizuku and Soyogi, they are interchangeable characters. It really like could you like. Could you, dear reader, see um, Soyogi doing the same thing as Shizuku and being the focal point of this chapter? Like, given a little bit of rearrangement in the past about, like, what characters have had the spotlight most recently, we could have had Soyogi doing the same thing. Like, oh, she sees um, Shizuku and Mike go off with uh, Nagi to go to the beach or whatever, and then she's like, oh, man, I want to, like... Then she spends, an, like, a bunch of time thinking about and obsessing, like, and saying, like, oh, I'm going to wear, like, my um, favorite um, outfit for him... And then, like, then they could go, like, he, she can end up at the beach and talk to Shizuku, and the exact same end of a chapter could have happened. And that, I, like, that's lame and a little bit lazy. Like, you have to differentiate your characters, otherwise why not just have a one-on-one -on -one romantic comedy? Like, those are also uh, viable strategies for a story, and, like, it's just uh, disappointing. So I have a number of thoughts about this uh, finale to the Valentine's arc. Okay, so first of all, uh, when Chitoge and Onodera spend a bunch of time remaking their chocolate, which I guess is like the focal point of this, like, of what happens in this specific chapter, then like one of my least favorite things about like, okay, how like what what way can you can you show that someone is bad at cooking, like? How can you uh, demonstrate a weakness in whatever skill that your character is supposed like is supposed to be like supposed to lack? So in this case, we're like we know that Chitoge and Onodera are both like supposedly bad at like cooking, baking, like whatever, making food, any any sort of like um, like creation of things to eat. And in this case, um, it involves Chitoge uh, mistaking um, sugar for salt. Like she puts salt in where the recipe says sugar. And I feel like that is maybe the weakest way that one can, um, like, ex express how bad someone is at cooking. Because, like, if you're making cookies or, like, chocolate or something, you, like, most recipes will call for a little bit of uh, salt and they will call for a lot of bit of sugar. So, like, you're going to use both of them. And it makes no sense that, like, oh, I'm going, I'm reading this recipe list and this is, like, add a pinch of salt or whatever. And then... But before that, it's like, oh, add, like, a cup or two cups or whatever of sugar. And, like, you're adding both of those from the same container. 
And one would think that if they were like even a little bit observant, then it's really hard to add the same thing twice. Like just through the sheer force of like, oh, I have like this one bag of sugar and one like bottle or like one like shaker full of salt. And like they're not, those aren't the same thing. It, it, I feel like it's a little bit um, silly to have your characters be dumb enough to get those things confused. Like this isn't really showing us that Shoga is bad at cooking. It's showing us that she's an idiot. And th like th those are different things that you're trying to do. And both of them might be true, or either one might be true. But we've established that she's she's pretty bright. Like she's good at school. She's not a dummy in any way, really. Like she might be um, ignorant of romantic things, like such as Raku and literally everyone else in the story. Except for like Shu and Ruri, but like she's not dumb. Like she's not super um, stupid or like, and we really haven't seen that she's terrible at cooking. Like Onodera, like that's been her like that's her character trait. Onodera is like she's shy and bad at cooking, and like we've seen many ways to express both of those things, including um, like okay, so Onodera is here and it's like she just makes chocolate and like we th the much better way to do this is just like have Raku be surprised that her cooking's good. And, like, that's what happens, and that makes a lot more sense. And, like, again, with the whole uh, characters are lazy thing, I don't know. Like, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Especially when we see, um, like, uh, Chitoge and Onodera having, like, identical reactions. Like, much in the same way that the Umi chapter had the girls responding to, like, the na the Nagi and the external stimulus. We get to see, like, okay, when uh, Raku praises them both for their... Uh, like their chocolate, even though Chitoge's is bad, but Onodera's is surprisingly good, and they both get embarrassed in basically the same way, and like they ne neither of them can handle it, and like okay, great, like th that's all we're gonna get from this chapter. Like th we built up this chapter for multiple, uh, like multiple ch like twenty-page chapters. Like okay, Valentine's Day, something great's gonna happen, and then and then it doesn't. Like every arc is just letting us like b build, build, build nothing, and then it just flatlines. Although it does lead me to believe that this story would be way better if um, Raku were out of it. Like, if it was just the interactions of all of these girls doing things in school. Because, like, the best part of the chapter is definitely the whole uh, montage of uh, Onodera and Chitoge trying to cook together and being bad at it. Where it's like, oh, we get to see them, like, making batter and then tasting it. And, like, oh, they're disgusted by how, like, how gross it is. And then they're like, oh, like we should try each other's batter and see how like what what each other's doing, so maybe we can learn something. Like, oh, still terrible. And then they're shocked, and then it's like, oh man, ha ha ha. And then they finally end up making reasonable chocolate, or one of them does. Although this brings me up to another thing that is really upsetting about this chapter, where like you know that whole thing like Chitoge put in salt instead of sugar. Uh, how does that make any sense when we clearly see that Onodera and Chitoge were testing each other's recipes? trying to see uh, who can make, like, trying to see if one of them can actually come up with a, a decent confection. So that's kind of um, obnoxious when it's like, okay, so we have not one but two complete idiots who can't either read a recipe or continue doing a thing that they've been established to be doing, which is tasting their own and one another's uh, chocolates that they make. So it, it baffles the mind how we are supposed to, I don't know, suspend disbelief or like how bad, like how just me like mediocre this plot device is, and like th the whole chapter, like I guess, kind of like hinges on that, where it's like, okay, um, Raku is able to and willing to eat the chocolate that's made with the salt, even though like um, he knows that it's terrible in order to spare uh, Shoge's feelings, 
and this uh, deepens her respect and admiration and love for him uh, in the process. And, like, that's the thing we're supposed to get out of this, is that she, like, both girls are getting closer to Raku, and, like, one of them kind of, like, the Onodera part kind of makes sense, but the Shogi part is super dumb. So, anyway, yep, that's, I guess, what happens here. And, yeah, again, we get the teaser of, like, oh, uh, Onodera is talking to her brother or sister, and hopefully we'll see them soon. That could be an interesting new character. And then, like, in addition to the cast, I don't know. So, yeah, the, it's just ugh, a bummer all around for the past, like, chapter of Misukoi and Umi no Misaki. It's like, oh, man, one of, like, somebody needs to pick up the pace. And I'm really not sure where Girl of the Wilds is going to go next, but maybe it'll be them, I hope. Oh, hey, I guess the series fighting is over now, judging uh, based on how um, wonderful this chapter is and just how goofy and just, I don't know, it's it's one of them like waxy, wa uh, wacky, relaxing chapters that we get every once in a while in Girl of the Wilds that are by far my favorite. So in this chapter, we get like a couple instances of like, Here's this, like, quick introduction and setup for this character, just, like, listing off their, like, fighting statistics and, like, how strong they were back in the day or whenever. Like, the doctor lady and the principal, who I really like the principal. He's He seems pretty awesome. And, like, it doesn't take them long to set up, like, who he is and, like, what type of character that he has as a person. So, like, in, in like, the first couple frames that we see him, he's just um, sitting in his desk, like, sitting in his office, getting pictures taken of him. And he's clearly enjoying the attention. And then, like, we see that, okay, he is seriously um, concerned about the rules of the school and, like, how they pertain to, like, the, the fighting that the girls engage in. So when he sees the, like, Moon Young and, like, all those goons, or, like, sees all those, all those goons rush, rush the stage to get at Moon Young, um, which is clearly a violation of, like, how, like, the fighting code works in the Wilds Academy, which is all, like, one-on-one -on -one fighting to prove that you're the best then he rushes over to put an end to this. And, like, okay, so we know that he enjoys um, the attention of his position, and he enjoys being a principal. We don't know if he's a good principal or not, but or at least at, in the beginning. And then he's also concerned with, like, his students and the honor of his school. And, okay, cool, great. Like, we've learned all this through... Um, we, we don't need a bonus chapter, I guess is the best way to put it. So, unlike in certain other uh, beach-oriented manga that we are currently reading like it doesn't take all that long to like fully figure out who the principal is and I assume he's not going to be too vital of a character but like it's just I, I really it, it always is just astounding how quickly we get to know these like to get to know these people and like what they want and like what they don't want so like and the same thing happens for the doctor like we get two two characters like fully like more or less fleshed out and it's like okay here's this doctor and like we learn why she wanted to be a doctor in, like, the span of a sentence and, like, how strong she is. And, like, okay, she is, um, she can be provoked easily and just, um, start to beat up people as a result of, like, them not listening to her, like, her medical advice. And then she, once her switch is flipped, then she's ready to fight. and Or, like, let Moon Young do whatever she wants. Like, her killer instinct gets awakened very quickly in this chapter. It's like, great, we know, like, I know everything that there is to know about this character, and, like, when you're doing a minor character, it only has, like, a trait, like, one or two traits that you come up with, and, like, that's all they need because it serves the plot or, like, whatever dumb jokes that you're doing in this case, then, like, being the ability to quickly 
um, create an exposition to just say like, okay, here's this uh, one panel text dump. It's like, this is their character, this is their stats, this is what they want, this is why they want it, and go. And then, and then the, the more important part is that you get to play off of that information in the rest of the chapter. So like, that's why we know that she is bloodthirsty and like, or that, like, that's why she's a doctor. Like, that's why she's here. Like, that's why everything about her. And like, that's the difference between this and that bonus chapter in Umi no Misaki, where we get to learn about Mike. But like, even in the chapters past that, like, we've seen nothing. Like, we haven't even seen the teacher anymore. Like, why would you have this bonus chapter and then like throw the character, like half of the bonus chapter away? Just for the sake of not using it, at, like, th- uh, this is, like, just compare this to the pr- ch- uh, past chapter and a half, I guess, because the bonus chapter isn't a real chapter of um, Umi no Misaki, and just see how much better this is. And like, then the principal comes back and it's like, oh, we get introduced to him as a fighter. It's like he will always defend like his, the honor of his school and the students uh, if people are like trying to fight outside the rules. By which we can see, like, as he just like beats up the like the gang member who is trying to attack like the, the like the reporter girl, and like okay, then he immediately goes back like as soon as the fight's over and he's like okay, everybody's safe. It's like oh what 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 got into me? Like what happened? Like he he blacked out. So like we're learning more about the Wilds Academy students. Like okay, all of them have the this like massive killer instinct and it's bred into them from like the top like the leadership positions, where even the principal is a former fighter and like. Okay, so healthy body is, equals healthy nation, as like the motto of the school goes, and we see that in every facet of the Wilds Academy, and it's just like perfectly done. Like this is how you do minor characters, and I love it. It's so good. So let's see. This chapter seventy of Umi no Misaki um, involves uh, what I would consider a how would I put this a very bad translation. I suppose is the best way to uh, phrase it. So um, and also a weird type of characterization. That so remember how I've been complaining about that bonus chapter and how I thought like oh. Maybe um, the things like the characterization that we get of this uh, mi- this Mike person, this actress who's from the mainland, and she's here on vacation to visit her friend or whatever, or some stuff, and then we get her background set up in that bonus chapter. So like how I said like oh none of her bonus chapter like attributes have been um, expressed in the chapters themselves, and like the, none of that backstory has made itself evident in any way. So uh, I bet you're you're thinking that oh now he's gonna say like oh man here's where they finally go into that and be excited about like what happens when like Shizuku and Mike are just talking to each other as they sit uh, together on the beach which is the chapter it's just it's, it feels like it, it goes by very quickly where it's like 100% just the two of them talking to each other after they eat some rice uh, prepared by Karen and Karen and Soyogi and Nagi just go off to play in the water. Anyway, um, so, right, contrary to your belief that, oh, he's going to be, like, be happy about this chapter because they finally make good on this bonus chapter. That would be, um, of course, if you did not actually read this chap- the chapter in question, which is this one, um, chapter 70, of course, because, like, so all the characterization, they just went, mm, like, they have it on a table and they just, like, push it over and then they're like, oh, nope. Uh, secretly, Mike, like, instead of any of that backstory that we set up, or, like, any of the character traits that we gave her, we are going to make her, like, a shrew, like, a person who's capable of shrewd observations of, like, other humans, able to, like, see, like, 
see through Shizuku's act and how she's repressing herself and like how she really just wants attention from Nagi and like her she was never given this ability to do that and like that's fine and I'm okay with like giving your characters new powers or like like abilities or traits or something like that but like if you're gonna waste your time setting it up why wouldn't you use something that she or like make the situation more applicable to anything that she like maybe she's like oh I feel the same way as you and then like also like more importantly beyond like the fact that like I don't want to go into it too too deeply again but the, the just think about how they waste the bonus chapter one more time and then so what I want to really talk about here is the translation because like the chapter title and like the last line of the of the chapter are basically uh, Mike saying to Shizuku, "We are two sides of a mirror," and like le let's think about this for a second. So I've seen a mirror before, and like we a mirror is a reflective surface, and I okay. So then it it seems a little bit interesting that uh, the simile that's being implemented here is like two sides of a mirror because like so one like say I'm facing a mirror, then I see the mirror. And then, like, it, one thing, like, one way you could explain this, like, analogy that they're making is that the, uh, the the other side of the mirror is, like, the reflection that's given to it. But also, like, if you think about it, like, a little bit more literally, then, like, the other side of a mirror would just be, like, the back of it or behind it. And, like, the thing behind a mirror is blocked by the mirror and you can't see it. So, it's a little bit confused. Like, this is not what I would consider a very uh, well thought out or well planned uh, type of analogy because it kind of doesn't really seem to explain what they're talking about and like I know it sounds like it, it sounds good like at first glance it's like oh this is like this is fine like this just see, this just says like okay this is exactly what we're like it's perfect for like explaining two characters who are very similar to one another or like want the same type of um, attention from other people or like love and care or whatever and like that's cool great like they're two sides of a mirror yeah that sounds great perfect it's it's wonderful it fits exactly and it's like completely apt it's like no not if you think about it even a little bit which is one of the like I, I i can't really like again it's hard to translate things effectively from language to language and like kudos to all three like translators or translation teams for like all three of these manga like they did really great jobs like especially so far like i've seen pretty much no uh, like obnoxious errors or just like thorough grammatical mistakes and like the 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 chapters are all very understandable and very like well translated and transferred into like the colloquialisms of English which I can really appreciate but sometimes like you can't you can't really give the idiom or however you want to phrase it in a different language effectively and like this just seems like one of those instances although I could I maybe I'm just overthinking it and I should just be um, taking it a little bit more literally where it's just like, okay, she's just saying like, oh, it's like looking at a mirror, like not like two sides of a mirror because like those are different things. So I'm going to chalk it up to mistranslation and move on with my life. And I suppose that you should probably do the same because like, what are we going to get by obsessing over this more than I already have? It's already been a couple minutes spent on this, which seems a little bit wasteful of everyone's time. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, speaking of overthinking things, so, let's see, 
So if you remember to uh, every other chapter that's focused on um, Chitoge's like bodyguard, attendant, whatever, like, I don't know, Sugumi, whatever she actually is or does in this story, which I'm still not 100% sure, but that's okay. So if you remember to every chapter that she's been in, or like that's, that she's been the focal point of, they have all gone um, identically in terms of plot. So we see a setup where like either um, there's some kind of external force, well not either, like we see a setup where there is some kind of external force uh, that like it encourages very strongly Sugumi to get close to Raku for whatever reason, whether it be like the introduction of the new character, man I don't even know what, the, the little girl, I forget what her name was and that's okay or like that stupid lie detector or like I don't know whatever other dumb gadget or like excuses that they had or like just her showing up like that was a thing like and they all go through the same sort of um, general steps where it's like oh she has to like do something with this um, apparatus or like uh, Paula that was her name yeah yeah Paula McCoy that sounds right so or like she has to beat Paula or whatever or like prove her worth or something like that and then it involves um, her getting into a bunch of awkward situations with Raku, which she can't handle it because he um, is consistently like nice and friendly and like a giving person. So and then she gets very embarrassed and then she freaks out. And at the end of it, um, he says something that makes her fall more in love with him. And then she gets mad that he's doing it to her. And then she goes to Ndere and then she usually punches him or runs away or something. You know the usual romantic comedy things. That's fine. So, like, the thing about it is, if you uh, paid attention to my description, then nothing is uh, distinct for this chapter. Like, the thing about it is that, like, we get these handcuffs, which, first of all, man, what a good plot element that involves the characters walking into each other, somehow both landing their arms into handcuffs and getting them clasped around their wrists in one, like, panel's worth of time. I, I'm impressed that they were able to uh, do like in, in, like have this setup go off with like no self-consciousness or like self-awareness of like how just stupid this entire premise is and like the thing about it is like oh but it's supposed to be measuring like oh here's like a true measure of like Raku and uh, Sugumi's feelings for one another and, and like in terms of heart rate and it's like, oh, the big reveal is that, oh, Raku is, like, notices her as a girl because, like, the heart rate doesn't go down when Sugumi calms herself or whatever. And then, like, the, the thing is that if, if you have a plot device and you could remove the plot device and the chapter would be literally the same if it was just a regular pair of handcuffs, like, that didn't have the special property, then that special property is, um, what's a, what's a good word? Pointless. Like, that's the word for it. It is a, a useless pot, plot device. Like, if you have Chekhov's gun, or, like, some kind of gun in an early scene of a horror movie, then one would expect that they that a character would use that gun later in the horror movie. Like, that's the classic example of how plot, like, how you set up a plot device, or how you implement it. So, like, here we get the same thing where it's like, oh, we got this explosive, that when the heart rates go up too much, it'll blow up, and then you'll both be dead, or, like, you lose an arm or whatever. Like, bad things will happen, like, there will be negative consequences. So then one would expect that, like, okay, that's, we're going to have to see, like, what that explosion looks like later in the story. And, like, either it's them doing something, like, her, her throwing herself, like, on top of them to protect it from the blast in, like, a more mature or, well, not, not mature, 
a different a different style of manga, I guess is the best way to put it. One could see that happening. Or, like, you could just see them doing the thing that they do here. Like, oh, the, somehow they find a way to defuse it. Okay, or you could have it go off and then um, what we actually have happen. So, like, imagine the Chekhov's gun thing where, like, you see a gun in a horror movie and then a character takes it and then, oh, it's a water pistol and then, like, they get murdered or something like that. Like, that, like that's a way to change, like, twist the, the whole idea, the concept on its head but also it's very unsatisfying for the audience. It's like, okay, we have this gun. Like, it's a thing. It's going to do a thing. But then it doesn't do the thing. And, like, that, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that this, like, if these were regular handcuffs, then nothing would have changed at all. It would have been them being, like, the same amount of bear. Like, we could have had the whole setup. But it's like, oh, they got handcuffed together on accident. We didn't have to have, like, the whole Claude and being a weird inventor of dumb, like, gadgets and whatever. And, like, at the end, it's like, oh, we just found the key to get out of it. It's like, great. Cool. But no, we had to go and like, we had to waste multiple pages worth of uh, explanation as to what this device does and what the point of it is. So I don't know, like that you, you did it, Nisukoi. You sure uh, made things way more complicated than they need to be. Just like me talking about the last chapter of Umino Misaki to tie everything back in a nice neat bow. So with that, um, I continue to be disappointed in many of the decisions that are made in Nisukoi. Nothing has changed there. Um, what about the other two? Girl of the Wilds had some good fighting, some objectively interesting and good fighting for Moon Young that I found it hard to care about, and then a good comic relief chapter, and then in Umi no Misaki, it's all Mike all the time, and I hope there's some kind of like actual payoff to her inclusion in the story, because right now it doesn't seem like she's doing anything. Like, maybe she's pushing pushing Shizuku to think about, like, what where, what her priorities are or where, what she wants to be regarding the dragon god himself or, like, how she wants her relationship to, like, change because it seems to be like, okay, we're focusing on her a little bit now. But, like, we haven't seen that Mikkei needs to be there in any way either. So it's like, okay, two of the manga that we have, like, the plot devices that we've set up, they don't really matter. Whereas in Girl of the Wilds, we see, like, okay, Jagu was tired, which made him perform worse in the fight and, like, lose his judgment and then get knocked out by a low blow. It's like, great. All the different, like, aspects of these characters and, like, the plot that we're setting up, like, okay, he's an unhanded fighter. That's the thing we've set up. He has, like, his gang um, come in and, like, that's the impetus for the principal to show up, which will move the plot along in a different direction. Like, they're actually presenting us with all these different things um, in the environment and like actually making good on them and like that's what I really appreciate is a consistent um, ability to actually use the things that you want to use and not just discard them when it's like oh now nah, the handcuffs just they just went poof because your heart rate went too high so now they're off of you it's like great okay cool wait wait a second so if, if those stupid handcuffs were supposed to explode and then they took the explosives out why did they release like why would you replace an explosion with like just handcuffs like just make them make them be handcuffs that don't respond to heart rate i don't understand why you would change like they're like oh he's like just we deactivated them like just throw them away when you're done with them sugumi in the beginning of the chapter and then she's like okay sure whatever but then like when they like wouldn't they have just like not bothered like take the explosive out and like don't make the weird modification so that the handcuffs function in a completely different way like that doesn't make any sense stupid garbage plot holes anyway so um in summary those are my uh, parting thoughts in these three different manga 
And um, uh, I have been your host, Kenton. This has been the Side Character Cast, a manga or a, a podcast in which I talk about some manga, which I just did if you've made it this far. And you can find me on soundcloud.com slash main dash character dash cast episodes post i don't know i keep having to move stuff or like go across the country every weekend which is kind of a hassle so recording has been kind of annoying it's like oh you're you're in town for like three or four days like go up and then you're gone for like the whole three or four days of the weekend it's like "Mm, this is getting kind of annoying for um a good recording schedule uh but anyway yeah thanks for listening uh comment or whatever and i don't know i'll see you on the flip side of the next time i record this podcast hopefully it might not be next week maybe uh we'll we'll say two weeks and i'll be a little bit optimistic about that so thanks bye